This episode is sponsored by RIMS. RIMS is a global organization dedicated to the profession of risk management. For nearly 60 years, RIMS has delivered the latest strategies and resources that allow risk professionals to grow, innovate, and succeed in any business. RIMS works with the industry leaders to produce content and online training that business professionals turn to. Topics include business continuity, cyber risk, risk management techniques, the fundamentals of insurance, and more. There's also a private members-only site where people can discuss sensitive issues and get honest answers. Members have been leaning on each other as we all navigate this global pandemic. If you're concerned about the safety of your employees and the sustainability of your organization, you need the resources and connections RIMS provides. Learn more at http colon forward slash forward slash go dot rims dot org forward slash transform. You can save 25% off a year long membership. Hey, welcome to the show. It's Brandon Laws. Today's conversation is with Robert Dylan Schneider. He is the author of the book Decisions, Practical Advice from 23 Men and Women Who Shape the World. And personally, I love reading biographies and autobiographies. I think there's a lot to be learned from people who have made significant decisions and whether or not they look back on it and reflect positively on it or negatively. And, and just to see like what was going through their head at the time, who were their influences and, and whatnot. I think either if you're a you know, a nonprofit leader, a business leader, or uh, somebody who works in leadership at the government level, there's so much to be learned from all of these folks. So even though Robert highlights 23 men and women who shaped the world, I highlight about five of them during this episode, if I remember right. And uh, so we do kind of a, a dive in each of them and, and why they made decisions and who were their influencers at the time. So there's a lot to be learned there. And then we just kind of bring it all together about, you know, for us, how do we make better decisions long term? I think that's kind of the ultimate goal. And, and the takeaway from this is like, let's let's make better decisions. So enjoy the episode. I will tell you, I had some microphone issues during this podcast, which I end up having to have the microphone uh, replaced. So it's a little crackly about midway through the episode. I'm not talking a ton. So hopefully you don't notice it. But it, I mean, it is noticeable. So but it's not the whole episode. So hopefully you can look past that. Robert's great. I think you'll enjoy this one. Uh, let me know what you thought. Reach out to me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, send a smoke signal. doesn't matter. <laughs> would love to hear from you and see how you like the episode. Enjoy. Talk to you next week. Hey, Robert, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thanks for coming on. Thank you very much. It's a great pleasure to be with you. I know this podcast reaches many, many people, so it's a real privilege to be on the air with you. I appreciate it. And we're going to talk about your book, Decisions, Practical Advice from 23 Men and Women Who Shaped the World. Fascinating book, very well written. And one thing that stuck out to me about reading the book was that you had to have read a ton of biographies to come down to 23 people that you wanted to highlight in this book about their decision making. So what was that process like? It's amazing. Over time, I've enjoyed reading about people and watching television 
excerpts about them and just seeing their impact on history. The people you highlighted in the book, you go through 23 men and women, and a lot of them are well-known. Some of them I admit I had not read a lot about them, so I didn't know any background. But did you find that a lot of these people made significant decisions in their life, were good people for the most part? Or do you think that whatever decision that they made was so impactful to history overall? No question about it. None of these people really lucked into it. Some of them might have been surprised. For example, Martin Luther might have been surprised. I think that uh, Madame Curry might have been surprised. But they all made something good happen because they passed this way. You start out with Harry Truman. And I want to just kind of go through some of these people that you highlighted in the book. So I think I don't know if this quote was from your book necessarily, or if it was from a biography that you read, but the quote says, I faced significant decisions in my life, as have you. At at some point, no matter how much help is available, it falls to you and you alone. And this is really in reference to him making the decision to drop the atomic bomb. And what do you think that kind of decision was like? We all have those decisions in our own ways, in our own life. A young person going to college, an individual thinking about taking a job, person trying to deal with retirement, an individual getting ready to marry to another person. Everybody has those decisions. And when you get those decisions, you sit in a room alone. And after taking advice from dozens of people, you then have to come to grips with what you're going to do. And that's what you do. So for Harry Truman, and it's well documented, he took advice from an awful lot of people. Many people said, don't do it. But Truman saw this as an easy way to demonstrate end of the war and to stop what was going on in China and other parts of Asia. Many of the Japanese, obviously, were not thrilled with this, but some Japanese actually were happy. And Truman eventually did end the war. And I think the world's better off for that. You wrote in this whole section that advice to Harry Truman was not always offered with the best thinking. And you wrote that you and I need to understand this too. What did you mean by that in particular? Was it just that, you know, there are influences around us and you need to take those into consideration, but they may not always be thinking correctly? Or what do you mean exactly? What I really mean is this. Everybody has their own agenda. And what you need to do is cut through that agenda and look to do what is right and what is right for the most people. I've rarely found somebody that really doesn't have an agenda. It's something they want to achieve, and that's why they tell you what they tell you. I think you have to go beyond that to a higher level and say to yourself, look, I want to achieve something of real consequence and significance here. I won't benefit from myself, but humankind will benefit from it. I think that's what I was trying to say. There was a quote that stuck out to me. I think it's from Harry Truman, and the quote says, All my life, whenever it comes to me to make a decision, I make it and forget about it. That's all you can do, end quote. (laughs) Like I have sort of a weird reaction to that. I'm like, you know, I want to feel good about the decisions I make. Sometimes I don't want to just forget about it and move on. But I kind of get where that quote's coming from. It's like, you make a decision, there's nothing you could do to change it. So just move on and be happy with the decision you made. But what's your take on that? That's what you have to do. You have to make the decision. And obviously, it's going to affect a lot of people, some people negatively, but hopefully the majority in positive ways. And you can look back and say, this happened as a moment of history. I've learned different things from this, but there's nothing I can do about it now. So I have to move on. And I'm going to move on and think about all the positive things that have happened. If you look at crises in America right now, Boeing, for example, has a heck of a crisis. But their people have made decisions and they're moving on. There are many, many companies and organizations like this that have decided to make the decision and to move on. 
Let's move on to Margaret Thatcher. She's very fascinating. You highlight her quite a bit in the book. So with Margaret Thatcher, her decision-making about the, I think it was the Falklands, where she had, like, she pretty much had a disadvantage not knowing anything about the war in particular. And you mentioned it gave her a lot of humility and it encouraged her to learn and to listen to her colleagues who probably knew a lot more than she did. And, you know, there's a level of humility coming into that, just not knowing. And so you almost have to work harder to make the right decision. What can you say about that whole process? Maggie Thatcher was an incredible human being, and she clearly made an important decision to go into the Falklands. She made an important decision on the coal miners in Wales. She changed the nature of her country. She didn't look back once she did it. Uh, she's generally thought of today as somebody who made Britain what it is and uh, kept really the monarchy alive. So Maggie Thatcher did a tremendous job, in my view. Do I agree with everything she did? Absolutely not. But on the whole, Maggie Thatcher made a difference. You wrote in that same section that we should always think about the implications of our decisions. And then you pose a question, do you play chess, backgammon, cards, or even checkers? Because all of these games rely on thinking beyond the immediate or obvious move. And how do you stay multiple steps ahead, knowing that any decision you make could impact two, three, four, five levels down the road? Well, there's a lot of game theory on this. And I think what you have to do is write down on the sheet of paper what your decision is. Talk about what the implications of that decision is. And then you'll see a mushroom begin to grow out of those implications. And how do you deal with all of those implications? Most of them, hopefully, are positive implications. Some may not be, but that's the way to do it. You have to really sit, sit down with a clean sheet of paper and go through it because no decision stands on its own. Something happens because of that decision. Yeah, it does seem like if you sit down and think through it clearly, document it, write it down, and then at the end of the day, if you feel like that whatever decision you're going to make will have a good outcome, then you got to feel good about that decision, right? Uh, that's right. But again, every decision also has a negative outcome. And sure you've got to be you got to be alert for those negative decisions and what they mean. So everybody can't be happy all of the time. So Johann Gutenberg, you talk about him in the book, in the early version of the printing press, I believe it was. And I don't even know what it looked like back then, because I think we're talking about, what was this, the 1400s? Right, way back. Yeah, way back. So this is like a new technology and he operated in secrecy. He really did it out of the guise of wanting to earn a lot of money. And I'm going off of the information in your book, but you've obviously done a ton of research on him. So I take your word for it. So he operated in secrecy, took money from other people in terms of lending and didn't really give him a whole lot of information. So he's making decisions along the way, hoping to achieve his goal of creating this printing press. What's your take on operating in secrecy like that when there are other stakeholders involved? He did what I think almost everybody should do in life. Mm -hmm. He made a decision to bet on himself, which he did. And in betting on himself, there were a lot of pluses. There were also some minuses. He knew those minuses would come. He had to figure out ways to deal with them. But overall, the overwhelming part of this was there were good things, and that's why he made the decision he did, and all things came out positively. At the end, Jonas Salk was the same kind of a guy. Einstein was the same kind of a person. These are remarkable human beings that have made decisions, and uh, for the most part, they've turned out well. Rachel Carson uh, did Silent Spring, the book. The whole environmental movements sprung out of Silent Spring. Is Rachel Carson thought of by many today? My guess is if Gallup did a poll, the answer would come up less than 5%. But still, she started something very big and has the implication right now of uh, the environmental movement. Martin Luther King took major decisions and placed the whole situation with the black community in America in a positive way. 
Do people remember King? He, they do. Absolutely. The reason they remember King is there's a constant drumbeat uh, by black organizations to celebrate King. There was recently a television series on Malcolm X. Malcolm X may have been more influential than King, but he was murdered here in New York well before he got started. And so consequently, very few people understand Malcolm X or the move that made Malcolm X uh, get to where he is. Going back to Johann Gutenberg, you had mentioned something that was really fascinating to me because I think it really ties into the way people especially a lot of younger people look at business and growth. He talks about the goals that Gutenberg have of achieving a lot of money and why that might not be the best idea. And I think, you know, to just elaborate on that point a little bit, I think what you mean is like having that as your ultimate goal of just earning a ton of money is probably not a good one. You probably need a higher purpose. Can you elaborate on that a little bit more? Money is a very nice thing to have. It enables sure you is. to do an awful lot. But money is not an end in itself. There are many people with lots of money who are very unhappy. There are people with very little money who've made important things happen in life. And I think it's more important, from my point of view, to be with that first group, not the second group that just has tons of money. I think about Alexander and his march across the uh, Asian countries. He sat down at the end and cried. He had nothing more to do. Mm. Uh, I think a lot of people with a lot of money who haven't thought about it have that problem. Yeah, I agree with that completely. So talking about Henry Ford, I mean, he's somebody that a lot of people talk about or just, you know, modern economics, uh, he's really figured out the assembly line and in really compartmentalizing little specialized things into repetitive processes. And what was fascinating about this is that, you know, economically, you really figured out the assembly line and people got really bored on the job, right? Because they're doing the same thing over and over again in one particular area of the assembly line to manufacture these vehicles. And so people were leaving and the turnover was a really huge issue with the Ford Motor Company. And at some point he made the decision, I didn't even know about this, but you highlighted it really well in your book. He moved people from $2.50 a day to $5 a day. And that's a huge decision. I mean, that's a lot of, probably a lot of money back in the day. Talk about the decision he made and, and what went into that. I think Ford had an idea that uh, was the automobile and putting people in automobiles on roads would create a tremendous boon to the economy. If he was first and got his automobile into the hands of top people, which he did, he would not only boost the economy, he would clearly demonstrate the values of a company called the Ford Motor Company. That continues on today through Bill Ford, his great grandson, and many others at Ford. People of that company are proud to work for it because of what they did. You end the book with a story about Malala, the girl who was shot in the head at the age of 15 in Pakistan for being an educated girl in a culture that really valued boys over girls. And she ended up speaking out against the Taliban after being shot in the head. And, and you know, she's got several couple books and really speaks out. What can you talk about from her perspective and from your own perspective about like the decisions she made to really speak out about what she thought was right. If she didn't do it, then she would forever live with the consequence of not doing it. And I don't think people can afford to take that consequence on. So she did it. She spoke out. She took a lot of heat because she did it. She took some physical torture because she did it. But she did it in a way that people recognize the benefits she brought. And that's why she's in the book. Uh, there are many people that do this over the course of time in history. It's extraordinary. But she did it. There's a man I know who has put together a package of materials that will be enormously helpful during this coronavirus matter. Is he going to make a lot of money from it? No. But he did it, and he did it, and he did it well. It's going to impact 
positively, really tens of thousands. What do you think is the difference between somebody like Malala, somebody who speaks out for what she believes is right versus somebody who, you know, has a similar belief, but just stays silent on it? What's the difference between those two people? Well, the difference is many fold. I think Malala saw she could influence a lot of people. The quiet person probably doesn't have any interest in doing that. So Malala did it. I think Malala recognized the horror, absolute horror, mm-hmm. of torture and unpleasantness, imprisonment, and all the rest of it. But she still said, do it. The person who's not uh, vocal doesn't recognize those tortures and gets away with it. I think Malala probably, at the end of the day, was stronger because of it, and more things came her way than the person who was just quiet. You know, if you step back and you look at these 23 people you profiled, and I'm sure you even profiled a ton more that didn't even make it into the book, what can you say about if there's any similarities or common themes about the way they make decisions or their thought process that goes behind it? Is there any common themes that you had seen and just kind of stepping back and looking at all these people? Well, first of all, you're dead right on all those points you just made. But I think the one thing that really separates everybody is the serious decision maker uh, looks within him or herself and says, if I do this, what are the consequences of making it happen and really helping a lot of people out there? So there is a real payoff. A lot of people make decisions and make no money as a result of it, but that's okay. They help an awful lot of people out there. My guess is that there are an awful lot of people who die and have made a decision which impacts tens of thousands, but who get nothing back for it. There's a man named Joel Kurtzman, who used to be the op-ed editor at the New York Times. Joan took ideas, and Joel put those ideas in motion. Occasionally, those ideas ended up as laws or regulations. Did Joel Kurtzman get a lot out of it? No, he got paid by the Times, not a lot of money, but he's dead now. Do he and his family look back and say, Joel Kurtzman did something smart and wise? You bet they do. Because Kurtzman had the guts to stand up and do things. When you speak with leaders, because I'm sure they ask you, I mean, you wrote a book on decisions, so (laughs) I'm sure you've got some advice on how to make better decisions. What kind of things might they ask you, and what do you say to them about how to make better decisions? The issue of making better decisions is one that vexes everybody. Because no matter what decision you made, you can always make a better one, somehow, some way. So I think the thing is to take a sheet of paper, plain bond, and draw a line down the middle of the sheet of paper and say to yourself, what are the positives here? What are the negatives? Add them up at the end. If on the positive side, you have an overwhelming number of elements where people say, my God, this is really constructive, go for it. If you don't, don't. On the negative side, if there's some really powerful statements that will affect large numbers of people dramatically and over time and forever, then that's obviously not a good decision. The line you should not have on the page, you don't need to have, is the implications for you, the decision maker. Every decision maker has huge implications, but if they are in the proper situation, they don't have to make it for themselves. I'm sure like in in the time that you spent reading through each of these people's biographies and and probably several biographies for each person, but you probably admire each of them in in various ways, but I'm curious if there's anybody, maybe there's a couple people that really stick out to you about how they handle the particular decision and who's that person or multiple people and why did you appreciate how they made a decision? A man named A.P. Giannini who started the Bank of America saw there was little chance for people coming from Asia 
and who were on the West Coast to be successful. So he started a bank, he created a lending facility, and he, in effect, grew the West Coast. I think it was an extraordinary series of decisions that he made that have generally improved lots of people, but a lot of the country and a lot of the world over time. He did that one man sitting in his office. When you read the book, you'll see one of Giannini's pieces of advice is have the courage of your, of your decision. Be brave and don't leave it. I'm sure many, many times people said to Giannini, let's abandon this approach. It's not going to be good for us. I'm sure he stuck to it and look at the results today. Robert, if somebody grabs your book and they read through it, what do you hope they really take away from this? I mean, obvious answer would probably be, you know, look at these successful people or people who really impacted history and and see how they made decisions. But is there anything else that you would say to people as they read through this and just to pay attention to? I would say that people generally make about thirty to 35,000 decisions a day. Ooh, that's a lot. <laughs> what to eat, what to wear, uh, what transportation to take. Of the thirty-five or 30,000 decisions over probably a month's time, one might have impact. So I think it's important to isolate that one. Say to yourself, here's the impact it has, and I'm going to go for it. That's what I'd encourage people to think about. Should people wear a bow tie or a four-in-hand tie? Should women wear a dress or a pantsuit? I can't answer those questions. But I do know that the person who's wearing the tie one day sooner or later, the woman who's wearing the dress one day sooner or later, is going to come to an important part of their life where they have to make a decision that affects millions. And when they do, they got to take the right decision. As we're talking right now, there's an individual who is very near death. There is another person who has the opportunity to reach out and give this person in their final moments of life some some solace and some positive attitude. This person is agonizing over what to do to reach out. They got to do something. They don't have any time left. They got to get up off the uh, seat and do something. That would be a huge decision. Will it be recorded in history? Probably not. At the right time, the person who's dying, you'll know they will have a better place because of what took place. So that's a decision that needs to get made. Those decisions are part of everybody's life. My guest today has been Robert Dylan Schneider. He's the author of Decisions, Practical Advice from 23 Men and Women Who Shaped the World. Robert, I really enjoyed the conversation. It's a great book. It's really well written. I learned a lot from it. I was pleasantly surprised. So I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Where can people learn more about you or anything else that you want to point people to? Well, they can obviously go on the internet. Nobody is this sacred today. Everybody has a history on the internet. But I'd encourage them to read the book and to uh, listen to people like you, a great host. Oh, thank you, Robert. I appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. Thanks so much. <laughs>